Hey detective, welcome to the Nancy Drew Rendezvous, a podcast where we take a chronological look at all the books in the Nancy Drew Files series. I'm your host Teagues and today's episode we will cover Case 24, Till Death Do Us Part. Hello detectives, I hope you're all well and all had a wonderful week. So I'm just going to try out a little new segment. Um, At the start of each book, I'm going to talk about Just briefly, some of the world events and things that happened in pop culture in the month that the book came out. So today's episode, we're discussing book number 24, Till Death Do Us Part. And the book was released in February 1988. And February 1988 was such an eventful period. We had the 1988 Winter Olympics, which were held in Alberta, Canada. I wonder if any of John, George's ex-boyfriend, who featured in a couple of the books, Never Say Die and Murder on Ice, I wonder if his friends took a part in it. Anyway, the three top medal-earning countries in the 1988 Olympics, Winter Olympics rather, were the Soviet Union, which no longer exists, East Germany, which no longer exists, and Switzerland. We also, speaking actually, speaking of the Soviet Union no longer existing, in February 1988 was the start of the dissolution of the Soviet Union. February 1988 also saw singer Rihanna being born. The songs that reached the top spot of the Billboard's Top 100 were In Excess, Need You Tonight, Tiffany, It Could Have Been, and Expose, Seasons Change as well as George Michael's father figure. I must admit, I don't know the Tiffany song and I don't know the Expose song. Or is it Expose? Expose? It must be Expose. There's no accent over the E. The cult movie Beetlejuice was released. And because I can imagine best reading the 17 magazines, the February 1988 cover featured singer Debbie Gibson. So there's a quick wrap up of the world in February 1988. Let's get directly into the cover discussion. So this one features Nancy in a flying suit. So she's got her flying overalls on. I'm not actually sure of the proper name for these overalls, but well, they're not even overalls. It's a full-on suit. She's also got a scarf around her neck and she's looking very, very happy. Her arms are crossed. She looks, yeah, she just looks happy. In the background, we have what looks like a light aircraft flying off and there is two parachuters falling through the sky. I can't tell if these parachuters are male or female and right in the middle because there's always an attractive young guy in the middle. And this book is no different. We have a man wearing kakai pants, a leather brown jacket, a white shirt. He's got dark hair. It kind of looks like Ned. I'm going to guess that it's Ned. (laughs) Actually, I know from the book, it's definitely Ned. (laughs) Definitely Ned. I'd just like to point out that Nancy is clearly a redhead on the front cover of this book. In the previous book, she was blonde. And then in Sisters in Crime, she was a redhead. And then in Circle of Evil, she was blonde. There's just really no consistency. Yeah, sure, being a strawberry blonde can be hard to interpretate, but yeah, it's just it's just something I've noticed now I'm going through all the covers that they're now in front of me. 
So let's get straight into the book. All right, this book begins in Nancy's bedroom. She's trying on an elegant turquoise dress because she has a date planned with Ned. Bess and George are in the room, you know, hyping her up, just doing the normal teenage things. And Nancy is saying that she's worried about Ned because he's been acting weird. And she was hoping that it wasn't because of a disagreement that they had where Ned claimed that he was just as good as a detective as Nancy, maybe even better. And that really, really hurt Nancy's pride. Nancy is very prideful, which we will see throughout this book. I mean, just in general, Nancy cannot do anything wrong. And she's always up for a challenge, no matter what the challenge may be. Nancy finished off her look with a pair of barrettes, some silver earrings, and a pair of high-heeled pumps. I just figured that all high heels were the same, so I'm not sure what pumps are. I guess it means a closed-toe high heel. It doesn't mean one with a chunky heel. Who knows? I'm clearly not a fashionista. (laughs) All I know is that it sounds like Nancy looked phenomenal. So Ned comes and he picks her up and he takes her out to a very, very fancy restaurant called Chez Lewis. It's supposedly the best restaurant in River Heights. So I'm going to add that to my directory of River Heights. I can't wait to finish this. I am so excited. I talk about it all the time, but it's just my favorite little passion project ever. The restaurant that Ned and Nancy are dining at seems super fancy and it looks over the Muskoka River. Just a fun fact, this is the first time the Muskoka River has been featured in the Nancy Drew Files series. This river plays a very huge part in the original books, but we don't really hear of it often in in the file series. They have a wonderful dinner and afterwards decides to take a walk along the river and Ned surprises Nancy by asking her to marry him. What? Ned and Nancy getting married. Nancy, you're way too young, but also, oh my gosh, mum and dad are getting married. How cool. This is awesome. Thankfully, well, not thankfully, depends how you look at it. Nancy says no. She's a rational girl, says that they're way too young, that they don't have anywhere to live. And Ned says, oh, we can live together on campus. They have like housing for married couples. Nancy just says, Look, I love you a lot, but I'm just not ready to get married, which is the right thing to say, Nancy. Afterwards, they continue their date. Ned's still acting a little bit weird, and Nancy asks Ned if she's disappointed in her, and he said, maybe a little. And Nancy's like, "Mm, no, you actually seem kind of relieved. And Ned let it slip that, yes, in fact, he was a little bit relieved. It was only an accident, but this got Nancy really fired up and acting all weird. The rest of the evening was kind of awkward and Nancy got dropped off early at 9.30 and he didn't even want to come inside. He just drove off. Nancy's really, really confused. And even her friends were the next day when Nancy decided to talk to them. She's just like, why is he being like this? And Nancy really, really wants to talk to Ned, but can't get in contact with him. And George said, oh, did you try calling him at work? Which is weird. Like, what job does Ned have? It's Is it the same summer that we have? Like, I don't even know what season it is in this book. And usually that's one of the things we cover first. I'm going to assume it is summer. He's home from college and just spending time with Nancy. It's the only thing that makes sense. 
I should also add this conversation with Bess and George is taking place in an Italian restaurant, but surprisingly, none of them are eating pizza. They're actually eating pasta and they have ice cream and soda. So I wonder if pizza will show its face in this book like it does all the other books. However, I don't think it showed a part in the last book, which was Sinister Paradise. That evening, they head to a pool party. The person hosting the pool party is not identified, so who knows? I guess it's a mutual friend from high school. Once Nancy arrives at the party, she's shocked to see Ned is dancing with an attractive woman who is described as being raven-haired, with flawless skin, a lovely face, and a figure that would have made any model jealous. I can tell you straight away it made Nancy instantly jealous. The girl is wearing a very late 80s outfit, a white denim miniskirt and a bright red t-shirt with the sleeves rolled up. Hmm, I wonder who this girl is and why is Ned dancing with her? It's just so weird. The other day, Ned was asking Nancy to marry her and now he's dancing with this black-haired girl. Quite unusual. Not long afterwards, the dark-haired girl and Ned kissed. What are you doing, Ned? Oh my gosh, this is... Ned, please, what? Oh, you can't just kiss this girl straight in front of Nancy. Like, I know you probably haven't even noticed Nancy's there, but you asked Nancy to marry her the other day. Who is this girl? I want an explanation. Before Ned gets a chance to explain, the girl runs up to Nancy and says, Oh, you must be Nancy Drew. I heard you're the best detective around. Um, oh, sorry, where's my manners? My name is Jessica Thorne. She tells Nancy that she's new to River Heights and she's from Chicago and staying at the Royal Hotel, which is River Heights' fanciest hotel. Nancy really doesn't want to talk to her and tries to walk off, but Nancy pulls her back and says, Oh, I need a favor. I don't really know anybody in River Heights. I was hoping you could tell me something about Ned. And Nancy's just like, what do you want to know? And just goes on about how he's the greatest and that he had told Jessica about you, uh, like Nancy, and that, you know, him and her are best friends. And Nancy's absolutely furious. Buddies, uh, like, she didn't say it out loud, but she's like, Ned's my boyfriend. Like, this is ridiculous. And then lets it slip Sure, we're close. In fact, we're so close that he asked to marry me that night. And Jessica doesn't even flinch. She's like, oh, you must have dreamed it. And Ned, Nancy's like, well, what? And Jesse Jacoba just laughs and says, because just a minute ago, Ned got engaged to me. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my gosh. This book is crazy. Nancy just says to Jessica, no, you're kidding. And Jessica says, why would I lie? And Nancy simply says, I don't know, but it's impossible. Ned wouldn't do something like that. Not 24 hours after proposing to me. Well, Nancy, you're wrong because Ned gets up in front of everyone and says, hi, everyone, meet my fiance, Jessica. Everyone's congratulating them, but they don't look happy uh, because Nancy and Ned are like a River Heights legend, like they're the power couple of River Heights. So what on earth is happening here? I can't even imagine to begin what Nancy will be feeling right now. Sure, Ned's had other girlfriends and whatnot when they've been on break. But Ned asked Nancy to marry him just 24 hours previously. The next day, we now know it's summer because the book says that it's hot and humid. 
and Nancy drives to Mapleton, which is where the Nickersons live, which I didn't know before that. I just assumed the Nickersons lived in River Heights, but no, it's in Mapleton. And they talk about how it's kind of like a rich area. The houses are all stately white colonials with sweeping lawns and tall trees. So the Nickersons are just as surprised as Nancy is and ask her to come in. Ned isn't home, he's at a dentist appointment, but Nancy talks to Ned's parents, who we learned names are James and Edith. This is the first time that we've seen Ned's parents' names mentioned in the books. Anyway, the parents are shocked just as much as Nancy is. They said that Ned's been acting weird and that he's been, you know, kind of uptight. And they notice that when Ned is around Nancy, he's more relaxed. So what could be going on there? Anyway, Nancy hopes to get to the bottom of it and heads to the dentist to go speak to Ned, which I think is a bit crazy. It's like, can't you just wait till he comes home from the dentist? Instead, just going to drive over to the dentist office and talk to him right then and there. I guess when true love is on the line, you have to do whatever it takes, but I still think that's a bit weird. Nancy confronts Ned at the dentist. He is delayed because the dentist can't find his dentist records, which is quite weird. I guess they need a better organizing system. Anyway, Nancy asks Ned, Ned, do you love Jessica? And Ned simply says, no, love her? Definitely not. She's blackmailing me. Ned begins to explain the situation. Ned was jogging near his house where Jessica was standing on the corner looking lost. She asked Ned uh, for directions on how to get back to the Royal Hotel. After telling Jessica that she had run quite a far distance from the Royal Hotel, he offered to drive her back home. On the way there, Jessica asked Ned for a dentist recommendation because she had a toothache. Then wanted a restaurant recommendation. Ned recommended the greenery and Jessica insisted that she couldn't eat on her own, so... She managed to convince Ned to join her. Hmm, this is quite weird. I don't know why Ned just can't say no. Why can't he say, oh, sorry, I have a girlfriend? They end up spending a lot of time together. And then Jessica says, oh, we have such a great time together. Maybe we should get married. Okay, that escalated quickly. Uh, But Ned thinks that something is up. Remember how in the start of the book I said that Nancy and Ned had a fight because Ned claimed to be just as good, if not better, detective than Nancy? Well, I guess he's been spending a lot of time with Nancy and figured something was up and now he was determined to get to the bottom of it, which is all very good and fair, but why didn't you tell Nancy this straight away? Why did you propose to her? Why did you not tell her about this Jessica girl? Why did you just spring on the fact that you were getting married to this Jessica girl in front of your parents and Nancy Drew? It just makes no sense. Ned, you're an idiot. So anyway, Ned says, I have a feeling she's up to no good. Maybe she's some kind of operator. If she's running a scam, I bet you anything that she's run it before. And Nancy's like, Ned, what makes you so sure you have no evidence? And then Ned, flexing his own detective skills, says, oh, when I saw her the first day, she wasn't sweating. And Nancy's like, and so what? 
And Ned simply said if she was running from the Royal Hotel, she definitely would have worked up a sweat. So I think that's great, Ned. Awesome. You do have great observation skills. So let's try and get to the bottom of this mystery. Who is Jessica and why she's so insistent on dating Ned? Nancy's first theory is that Jessica is after Ned's money, but Ned has already ruled that out because Jessica is already rich. She has piles of cash in her purse and her hotel bill is paid off. And Ned said, also, I'm not really rich at all, at least not super rich. She could probably do better. I wonder how rich the Nickersons are. I never really thought of it. Both Ned and Nancy's parents seem very well off. I don't know what Ned's parents do. Carson's a lawyer and obviously they make a lot of cash. Well, we soon learn how rich Ned is. His father's a real estate agent. He says that they have a cabin at Cedar Lake, which is interesting. I know they have a cabin at Fox Lake because they went there in one of the earlier books. I think it was the... Oh, I can't remember now. It was one of the first five books they went to Fox Lake after Nancy finished solving a mystery. Um, And they also have a house on Merritt Island in Florida. Okay, um, yeah, that's pretty wealthy. But Ned's like, nah, there's heaps of families with more assets than I do. So, hmm, what could this Jessica woman be after? Nancy's still confused. She's like, Ned... If this is the case and that you agreed to marry her uh, so you can string her along until you solve the mystery, why did you propose to me the night before? Okay. And are we ready for the most sweetest moment in all of the Nancy Drew books? Get ready. Ned answers, because I always promised myself the first girl I'd ask to marry me would be Nancy Drew. Oh, that is so cute. But like... It's okay, that's adorable, but imagine if they broke up for real and, you know, got separated and then, like, you know, 20 years down the track, Ned wants to meet somebody. He's like, oh, no, sorry, I can't marry you. I have to ask Nancy Drew first. I guess it's really good timing. It's very sweet, but also a bit broken. Over the next few days, Ned keeps track of Jessica and updates Nancy. And then a couple of days after that, Nancy gets an invitation in the mail to go to Jessica's bridal shower. What a slap in the face. Poor Nancy. Nancy, Bess and George arrive at the shower and Jessica runs up to them. Nancy turns super mean girl at this shower. Nancy compliments Jessica on her dress and says that it makes you look so young and innocent. And Jessica arcs up and says, oh, that's why I brought it. Ned said he hates it when girls try to look older than they are. He says it's really immature. Nancy simply replies with, Really? That's odd. Ned told me he loves a sophisticated look. He said he likes girls who've got the figure to carry it off. What? What does that even mean? That makes no sense. I, like, what does figure mean? Like, what's that got to do? Jessica looks great in this dress. What? So she looks young. Oh, oh, I think I get, I think I get what, what Nancy's trying to say. I think Nancy's trying to say that she's got a more older, womanly-looking body, as in her chest may be bigger, which is weird, and I might be totally wrong, but it just seems to be – that's my theory. 
The next slap in Jessica's face is when Nancy gives Jessica her wedding present, well, like the bridal shower gift. It's a handheld mirror. And Nancy simply replies with, I thought you'd like it. You strike me as the kind of girl who likes to look at herself in the mirror. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, Nancy, what are you doing? Anyway, Jessica got super, super angry and Jessica runs off. Nancy continues to observe Jessica throughout the party and watches Jessica get a plate of sandwiches that contain cheese, lettuce, tomato, mustard, and a heap of olives. And then all of a sudden, something clicks in Nancy's head and Nancy realizes that Jessica really doesn't like Ned. How? Because Ned doesn't like olives. And if she really loved him, surely she would know that about him by now? That's a far stretch, but Nancy says that they've been to heaps of restaurants together by now and surely they would know each other's food preferences. Okay, I'll buy that. That's a good explanation. I would have thought, okay, they just haven't had that conversation yet, but Nancy's theory makes sense. Nancy then tells Bess and George that she's got a theory on what Jessica's up to but refuses to tell them, therefore refusing to tell us what Nancy's theory is. So, Nancy heads to the Nickerson's house the next day to speak to the parents. She asks Ned's parents if Ned's set to inherit a huge amount of money one day, and they simply tell her, no, 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 not at all. They ask Nancy if she thinks that Jess is a gold digger, and Nancy says possibly, but it's hard to tell with someone that we know so little about. Nancy then asks if there are any relatives that Ned is set to inherit money from, and... The parents say, yes, but it's not going to be a huge amount of money, so not worthy of Jessica marrying Ned. Then Nancy asks if about Jessica's parents and if they have a stipulation that she can only inherit some money if she's married, and we learn that Jessica's parents are dead. Nancy's upset that her theories have been blown out of the water and then considers Why move to River Heights to marry somebody? Why not find a man in Chicago? Surely there's plenty of men in Chicago that she could have married. Nancy's next idea is to call Coach Burnett, who we met in book number five, I think, which was Two Points to Murder. Uh, Nancy did a case at Ned's College, Emerson College, trying to solve some practical jokes that were happening on campus. So we've met Pat before, Pat Burnett before, and he remembers Nancy. Nancy asks if Ned has had any scouts looking for him to sign him to the big league. So Ned might be due to make a lot of money and we learn, no, no, no one's been chasing him and no one wants to sign him. So far, it looks like Jessica isn't with Ned for money, but Nancy has one more theory and wants to prove it. So she makes plans to meet Ned at the mall in front of fountains. And Ned says that's dangerous because he's supposed to meet Jessica at the mall to buy wedding rings with her. And regardless of this risk, they do it. And of course, they start making out at the fountains and the fountains turn off and Jessica sees them. Nancy does this great show of, you know, pretending to be heartbroken and Jessica manages to buy it. However, before all this happens, Ned says he has further proof that Jessica is running a scam 
because they went out for dinner and Jessica received a phone call. She wouldn't take it in front of Ned and instead return the call on a payphone out the front. Payphones and getting calls at restaurants seems so weird to me. Regardless, Ned overheard Jessica yelling into the phone saying, stop hounding me. I told you already you'll get it. In fact, I'm working on it right this second. If only you'll let me get back um, to what I'm doing and don't call me again or you'll blow anything. So yes, it definitely sounds like Jessica's up to no good. The plan that they want to put in action is to buy Jessica a really expensive present to see if she accepts it. If she accepts it, then yes, clearly she's after the money. Nancy needs some time alone to think about the case and what's happening, so she hires a Cessna and decides to fly it around and just think while she flies. We know that Nancy has her pilot's license. They did mention it in the previous book, Sinister Paradise. It said that she wanted to learn how to fly helicopters as well as planes because it might come in handy. So Nancy goes around, flies, clears her mind, and then lands the plane. However, when she lands the plane, who else is there flying planes but Jessica? And then they discuss skydiving, and we learn that Nancy has done 32 skydives. That's crazy. Nancy's so adventurous. She can fly planes. She jumps out of planes. Can you even get a pilot's license at 18? I don't know. Maybe I should look that up. Okay, I've looked it up, and yes, you can get a pilot license at 16 years old. Jessica asks Nancy if they would like to do a skydive together and of course Nancy never backs down to a challenge and agrees. Nancy goes through the safety precautions of setting up her chute and then goes into the women's locker room to get changed. I'm willing to bet that because this is a Nancy Drew book and something bad's going to happen that Jessica has tampered with Nancy's chute while she was getting changed. And they head up in the sky. Nancy is very nervous because she hasn't done a jump from this height before, but, you know, she can't look weak in front of Jessica and jumps out of the plane and enjoys the free fall. And just like predicted, Nancy's parachute doesn't work and Nancy starts panicking. As you would, you're falling directly to the ground from the sky with a broken parachute. Thankfully, Jessica comes to the rescue and pulls the emergency parachute or something and they both manage to land safely. So if Jessica wanted to get rid of Nancy, why would Jessica save her? Maybe it was an accident, but I still believe that Jessica tampered with the parachute. Maybe it's a threat. Maybe it's just a warning to Nancy to stay away out of Jessica's plan to marry Ned and keep away from them both. Nancy spends the next day resting because she's terrified after the parachuting incident. But all of a sudden, someone arrives at Nancy's house and who else is it but our favorite girl, Jessica. How does Jessica know where Nancy lives and why is Jessica at Nancy's house? Well, Jessica says that she's at Nancy's house because she wanted to check up on her but actually she wanted to spy on Nancy because she walks over to the desk where Nancy keeps her detective files and asks about them. Thankfully, Nancy snatches them off Jessica and says, no, these are secret and I'd prefer not to share them. All of a sudden, there's a horn out the front and who else is out there but Ned? All right, so how does Ned know that Jessica was at Nancy's house? This is also crazy. 
Well, it turns out Ned called Jessica at the hotel, but she wasn't there. And the intendant said that Jessica asked for directions to Nancy's house. So Ned figured that Jessica was there. But why is Ned there? Because Ned is going to give Jessica a brand new car. Okay, so this is the expensive gift that they must have devised up to get Jessica caught out to see if she actually is only with Ned for the money. Mind you, this isn't just any car. This is a hot pink sports model with a sunroof, stereo and air conditioning. Remember back then, air conditioning was a luxury. (laughs) I wonder if it has electric windows. It's like I hated having to wind down the windows in cars when we were younger. I'm just I'm just glad that this car has air conditioning. It seems like they have hot summers out in River Heights. Jessica is anything but amused. She's like, you better not have brought this already. But Ned said, no, it's okay. I've just taken it for a test drive. But if you want it, I'll go down and put a deposit on it. And Jessica says, nope, nope, not at all. Ned's confused. Do you not like the color? And Jessica's, I love it, but I can't accept the car. We're just starting out. We need to save money and insists that he take it back. So she turned down this gift. She's not after money. What are you after, Jessica? Nancy has another plan. She needs Ned to distract Jessica. So Ned takes Jessica out to lunch and Nancy goes to the Royal Hotel and because she's got a relationship with the manager of the hotel, asks for a job. That job is becoming a maid just for an hour so she can sneak through Jessica's room. Clearly this hotel doesn't care about guest privacy and allows Nancy to work as a maid and check through Jessica's room. Also, supposedly Nancy knows the hotel's manager. His name's Pete Gomez, and she had helped him previously in a five-carat diamond case, which had been stolen, and it turns out that it actually hadn't been stolen. The guest had just hidden it so they could fake an insurance claim. If anyone knows what case this is, please let me know. I would love to hear about it because it's not ringing any bells to me and a quick Google search didn't really help me, but I guess the name Pete Gomez wasn't used and it was just the case in question. Nancy begins to go through Jessica's room in the bathroom. There's shampoo, conditioner, makeup, and a bottle of sleeping pills. Nancy wonders if Jessica has problems sleeping, but it turns out no, because the bottle is full. She goes through Jessica's pockets and doesn't find anything. But for some reason, Jessica's left her purse at the hotel room. I'll think if you're going out for lunch, you would bring your purse. Regardless, inside the purse is thousands of dollars in cash and Jessica's Illinois license. Nancy copies down the address from it. Then Nancy checks the desk. In the desk was an envelope filled with newspaper clippings and The envelope had originally been mailed to a Scott O'Malley, which has a Chicago address also. Nancy notes that down. The return address on that envelope was for a law firm in Billings, Montana. And Nancy pulls out and examines the clippings. There was a picture of Ned where he had broken his right arm the previous spring and had been pulled from his position as the starting pitcher for Emerson College. So we know that Ned plays football, basketball, and I guess he plays baseball as well. What a man of many talents. How does he get any actual schoolwork done? 
Nancy goes through the rest of the clippings and they're all from the sports pages and they're all photos of tall, dark-haired, square-jawed boys, each kind of looking like Ned. And through all the other photos, except Ned's, there was a big, huge cross through them. Hmm, this is quite interesting. Who are these men? Why is there crosses from them? And why does Jessica have them? Jessica returns while Nancy's midway searching through the room. She pretends to be a housekeeper, hides under the table until Jessica goes into the bathroom. Jessica also complains about just returning back from a boring lunch with Ned. So if it's boring, clearly she's not interested in him. And that's the concrete proof that we need that she's running a scam. The next day, Nancy heads to the River Heights morning record, which keeps on making many appearances in the series. It was in Trial by Fire. It was also in Very Deadly Yours. And there was another one. I just can't think of it right now. Nancy heads to the morgue of the newspaper office where all the old files are kept. The man working there is more than happy to help Nancy figure out what newspapers these articles came from and promises to have the answer in a couple of days. So yay. Before Nancy leaves, Mr. Pike pulls out a folder labeled D and it's filled with all the articles showcasing Nancy and her detective skills and the mysteries she's solved. Supposedly, Mr. Pike does this all the time when Nancy comes to visit. And even though it's happened numerous times, she still, you know, is polite. It's like, oh, thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of cute. He's keeping a record of it all. He's so proud. I mean, I'm proud of Nancy too. I love her. Nancy soon heads to Chicago and heads for the address that was labeled on Jessica's driver's license. Once there, a man brings her inside and Nancy learns a little bit more about Jessica. Her and her parents don't live there anymore because Jessica's parents had died and it's the butler who answers Nancy's questions. Despite, um, you know, Jessica's parents and Jessica not being alive anymore, the butler was asked to stay on when new people brought the house, which is That's pretty nice. It's like, here, buy a house, have a butler with it. Imagine the life. Anyway, the butler's name is Wiggins, and we learn that he hates Jessica with a passion. He says that she's evil, that she gave her parents nothing but trouble, and that she was just out of control. She was up all night at parties. She was always in trouble with the law. And Nancy's like, that's weird. That's not how she acts now. She's the perfect lady. (laughs) Mr. Wiggins just laughs and says, well, yeah, she's a great actress. You should have seen her performance in court after she was arrested for shoplifting. Wiggins eventually lost track of Jessica and he heard rumors that she was involved with a married older man who was a politician. Nancy asked Wiggins if he knew of any reason why Jessica would want to get married now to someone that she doesn't know. And Wiggins simply said thrills. Nancy wants to know if Jessica has any relatives that are due to give her an inheritance with the provision that she gets married. And Wiggins tells her, nope, sorry, she doesn't have any other living relatives, which blows Nancy's theory out of the water. Before Nancy leaves, she asks Wiggins if he knows who Scott O'Malley is. Mr. Wiggins says that's the straw that broke the camel's back. 
He's also the reason that Mr. and Mrs. Thorne cut Jessica out of their wills. We learn that Scott O'Malley is a welder by trade. The Thorns disapproved of his family background because they didn't make enough money. But Mr. Wiggins liked him. He says that his only real shortcoming was that he fell in love with Jessica. Nancy's like, what's wrong with that? And Mr. Wiggins says, well, nothing. But the issue was Jessica took advantage of him loving her and married him. So Jessica's been married before. Is she still married? Hmm. Turns out that Wigan has no ideas. Nancy thanks him and heads for Scott's address. Unfortunately, the O'Malley's don't live there anymore because they're dead and the new owners don't really know much about them. They point Nancy to the neighbor and the neighbor gives more information on the O'Malley's. This lady wasn't keen on talking until Nancy mentions Jessica's name and then the lady spilt all the beans. We learnt that Jessica moved in with Scott and his parents, but eventually drove Scott off. And they don't know if Jessica and Scott are still married or if they're divorced because Scott has run away, never to be seen again. Turns out Jessica drove Scott off because she was always after him to buy things, perfume, clothes, and an aeroplane. I mean, can you imagine just asking, oh, hey, honey, can you buy me an aeroplane? This guy's not rich. Like, why would she ask him that? He's working class. I don't get it. Anyway, we learn that Scott took off. Jessica stayed living there. And then two months ago, Scott's parents died. So I guess that's when Jessica left and started hunting for a new man. Or maybe she was hunting for Scott. And we also learnt that Jessica stripped the O'Malley's of their life savings. Oh, and it turns out that Scott was begging Jessica for a divorce, but she wouldn't allow it, so he just took off. This girl is a piece of work. So she's definitely money-driven, but why? I don't understand. Where does Scott play into this? Let's find out. Nancy's on the phone to Ned later that evening saying that if we confront Jessica about her marriage to Scott, then, uh, you know, she might open up and we'll catch her out. But Ned's like, no, unfortunately, Jessica told me all about her marriage to Scott today. Hmm. But she also told Ned that her and Scott were divorced. Nancy's like, well, she can't prove it. And Ned said, oh, no, she made a point of mentioning that she can. And Nancy suggests, oh, it's possible that she's bluffing. And Ned's like, yeah, maybe. And Nancy goes on to explain that the lady told Nancy that Jessica refused to give O'Malley a divorce. And then Nancy, knowing her divorce laws because of her father, tells them, or tells Ned rather, that she could get a divorce without Scott's permission, but it would take six to eight months. So we know that much time hasn't passed. It's only been two months since the parents died. And at that stage, Jessica and Scott were still married. Wow, that's very, very smart thinking. Nancy needs to prove that Jessica isn't divorced and there's only one way to do it. And how else but to find Scott O'Malley. So that's what Nancy plans to do. Oh, and one little thing. 
Ned has learned that Jessica has picked up only Ned's wedding ring and told the jeweler that she only needed Ned's and to get rid of the other one. That's quite unusual. The man from the morning record has gotten back to Nancy and gives her a list of names and phone numbers of the men that were featured in the newspaper articles. Nancy contacts them all, but unfortunately it's a dead end. None of them have heard of Scott O'Malley or Jessica Thorne. Nancy needs to locate Scott, but if Jessica can't locate him, how will Nancy? Nancy, being the genius that she is, calls the River Heights office of the Welders Union, tells them that she's got an overtime check for Scott O'Malley, that, however, he's moved away, and if they have an address for them. And within an hour, the national headquarters gets back to Nancy and gives her an address in Gary, Indiana. So what does Nancy do? She flies to Gary, Indiana to see Scott O'Malley. Now, I must admit that I thought that Nancy was just going to jump on a commercial flight and fly to Indiana. But then I remember that she flies a plane and she actually hires a plane and flies there herself. She finds Scott's apartment and when she knocks on the door... She says that she's a detective and Scott starts running and they chase each other and finally she catches him. Scott is freaking out. I'm not giving her another penny, he yells. Can't you see I'm broke? Nancy says, who? Who are you talking about? Suspecting that he was talking about Jessica. And Scott says, you're working for Jessica, aren't you? And Nancy says, no, I'm not. And Scott's surprised And Nancy explains that she's working for someone else and she just wants to ask him a couple of questions. The first question she asks him is if him and Jessica are divorced and he says no. So there we go. Jessica's been lying. So it turns out that Scott did try to get a divorce from Jessica, but Jessica would deny it. And Scott's lawyer said that if he fought it, then it will be like caught up in court forever. Nancy wants to know why Jessica would have fought the divorce. And Scott says, oh, probably for my money. And Nancy's like, oh, well, welding pays okay, but not a fortune. And your parents weren't rich. And then Scott says, you're right. I think it was my aunt's money that she was after. And Nancy's like, what, your aunt? Scott goes on to explain that his auntie married a rancher out west and inherited a 5,000-acre ranch when he died. So, uh, yeah, she's loaded. And basically, Scott's going to get the ranch when she dies. And Scott says, I don't want her to die. I don't really care about the money. I hope she lives a long and happy life. Nancy then asks if the ranch was in Billings, Montana, And Scott rubs his arm again and says, yeah, how did you know? And Nancy breaks the news to Scott saying, sorry, I think your auntie has died because I found a letter from a legal firm in Billings, Montana that Jessica had. So what heartbreaking news to have to share to somebody that you don't know. Nancy then asks Scott why he keeps rubbing his arm and it turns out that he had broken it and it sometimes still gives him grief. This causes alarm bells to go off in Nancy's head. She tells Scott that he needs to go to River Heights. When Scott asks why, she says, you need to tell your story to the police. She then goes on to say, I haven't got it all worked out just yet, but if my theory is correct, your wife is planning on murdering my boyfriend. 
what? Okay, I still have no idea what's happening here. This mystery is blowing my mind. Nancy seems to have it worked out. I couldn't work it out. So let's see what the story is. Before Nancy heads back to River Heights, she calls the Nickersons and tells them not to let Ned leave his house. And then Nancy and Scott jump in a plane and Nancy explains her theory to Scott. She says to Scott, my boyfriend's name is Ned Nickerson and she's planning to murder him because she needs a dead body. Not just any dead body would do either. It has to be a certain square jaw and a certain height and weight. It's also got to have a right arm with bones that have been broken and healed. Scott says, like mine. Nancy says, exactly. Nancy tells Scott to think himself lucky because if he hadn't ran away, she would have used his body. Because of Scott's inheritance, if Scott dies, then automatically that inheritance goes to Jessica. However, because Scott ran away, she couldn't kill him and therefore needed another body to say, hey, look, my husband's dead. And that's where Ned came into it. Scott's also curious, why did she choose Ned? And it turns out that those newspaper clippings were all of men who had similar appearance to Scott, but only Ned had broken his arm. Hmm. So that's pretty smart, Jessica. I'm really impressed. If this series is true, that's amazing that Nancy managed to figure this out. Like, this is just big brain, like, so deceptive and so smart. (laughs) Scott's still confused, though. It's like, what good would killing your boyfriend do? He doesn't look like me. And Nancy's like, well, that's the thing. It's not who she kills, but how she kills them. If she kills them so the body's unrecognizable, then it's easy. The only way to identify a body that's so burnt up or indistinguishable is through dental records and Ned's dental records went missing. And Nancy also knows that Jessica knows who Ned's dentist is because she asked for a recommendation. Oh my gosh, it all makes sense now. Nancy theorizes that Jessica is going to take Ned up in a small plane, fly him far away, she'll drug him, and then she's going to jump out of the plane, skydive to safety, the plane will crash, and Ned will crash and burn and perish. When they find Ned's body, it will be charred beyond recognition, so Jessica will say, that the body is you because it's the same height, weight, and skeletal evidence like the broken arm. And she will use the stolen dental records, put Scott's name on it, and that would be the further, like the solid proof needed to prove that it's Scott. <sighs> A short while later, they land at River Heights Airport and Nancy calls the Nickersons again. Mrs. Nickerson is distraught and sounding panicked. She tells Nancy... Ned and Jessica are gone. Oh no, oh no. Ned is in super bad danger. Turns out that Mrs. Nickerson hadn't told Mr. Nickerson about the plan. Ned and Jessica came over and left and told him that they were flying to Detroit. Nancy tells them, no, they're not going to Detroit because Jessica doesn't have any relatives there. So where are they flying to? She checks with the people in the flight control center, and yes, Jessica has registered a flight to Detroit. 
However, Nancy knows that they're not going to Detroit and her theory is that they're going to fly to Montana because crashing the plane there will shorten the time and paperwork involved in claiming the inheritance. That's pretty smart, Nancy. Well done. Nancy asks the flight people to call their airports on the way between River Heights and Montana and tells them to ground Jessica if she makes contact with them. However, they can't do that. But if Jessica lands, they can stop her from going back up. So Nancy decides to follow Jessica in the plane. Bess, George and Scott join her. They fly for a couple of hours and suddenly they get a call from Susie City and we learn that Jessica had just taken off from there. They're like, why didn't you stop her? And it's like, we didn't get the call in time, but they only left like five or 10 minutes ago. Nancy's excited. It means that they're super close to her. I have a question. How is Nancy going to stop Jessica midair? Is she just going to like, you know, cut her off in her plane? How is this even going to work? I don't know. I'm curious to see how this ends. Not long after, Nancy is excited because she can see Jessica's plane up ahead. She knows that it's Jessica's plane because she can read the numbers on their fuelage. Okay, that's crazy because it says the plane is half a mile to her left and 100 feet lower in altitude. She must have great eyes or these plane numbers must be readable from a huge distance because I'm telling you, I can't read something that's a mile away. Anyway, the excitement is short-lived because Nancy watches a tiny figure wearing a parachute fall away from the plane and the plane starts plummeting towards the ground and in a minute or less, the plane will crash with Ned inside. Oh my God, no, Ned, no, Ned, you can't die. What's going to happen? Nancy quickly tries paging Ned on the radio, but there is zero silence. He's probably still knocked out. Nancy continues to try and get in contact with Ned with no avail. And suddenly she realizes that Ned is going to die and that there is nothing that she can do to prevent it. She's not going to be able to reach him. There's no way to get into the plane and take the controls herself. Ned is going to die and she's going to lose Ned. She quickly pushed that thought out of her head and realized that she doesn't want Jessica to get away with this and she's going to do whatever she can to catch Jessica. So now we have this crazy scene of Nancy deciding to do a emergency landing and making the plane dip down super fast and it thrashes around and Bess and George and Scott are terrified. But thankfully, Nancy manages to land 100 meters from where Jessica land with her parachute and begins to chase her. Okay, this scene is just so unrelatable, but I th- think the scene in the helicopter in the previous book is even more crazy. Yes, Nancy's a pilot. I don't think she's skilled enough to do this craziest type of landing, but congratulations, Nancy, you landed the plane. Scott goes to chase Jessica and Nancy looks up into the sky to where Ned's plane was. She couldn't see the plane, so she looks on the horizon for some smoke and there's nothing and she's confused. Surely it would have crashed by now. Surely there would be smoke. Thankfully, Ned has crazy flying skills and managed to take control of the plane and land it safely right next to Nancy. Ned is saved. Thank goodness for that. We couldn't have Ned die, but this just seems ridiculous and I want an explanation. 
Ned arrived back at his parents' house and saw the scribbled note that his mother had left and he kind of like used his own detective skills and put two and two together. He couldn't figure it out completely, but on the drive to the airport and at the airport, he stayed on his guard. He noticed that Jessica had put some sleeping pills in his coffee, so when she wasn't looking, he tipped the coffee out. Then 10 minutes into the flight, he pretended to fall asleep and went through everything in his head. Uh, from the notes that his mum left, he could figure lookalike, broken arm, and that gave him enough clues to figure out what Jessica was doing. So congratulations, Ned. Yes, you probably are just as good or if not better detective than Nancy because you got all this just from a couple of words that your mum left on a notepad. Anyway, after Jessica jumped, he took control of the plane and landed it safely. And Nancy's like, well, hang on. Why didn't you hear my radio calls? Well, Ned just says, oh, well, Jessica like slammed her fist into the radio. So she probably like put a loose wire in there or something. All right. Unbelievable. But I guess that's a good enough explanation. Then Nancy wanted to know why she jumped where she did instead of in Montana. And Ned figures that she freaked out when she heard Nancy on the radio and needed to jump out straight away. Nancy says, well, that was silly of her because bailing out changes his crime from intent to commit murder to attempted murder. So bad luck for Jessica. Anyway, they've all landed. The FBI comes, takes Jessica away, and everybody is safe. Jessica's like, Ned, how did you survive? Like, what happened? And Nancy's kind of smart and smirks. Well, if you actually knew Ned properly, you would know that Ned also knows how to fly a plane. And yeah, I guess if she knew that, Jessica would have had to have figured out another way to kill him. Nancy also notices that Ned is wearing a ring and Nancy asks him what it is. He says, oh, that's my wedding ring. Jessica put it on my finger before we got in the plane. And that explains why she only took one of the rings from the jewelers. I guess it did. They all laugh. They make jokes about, you know, not talking about marriage or anything like that. And then Nancy has a huge kiss with Ned and that's the end of the book. Woo! I love this case. Five stars. It was really good because it was such a elaborate mystery that I would have never figured out. I think the whole plane scene at the end was ridiculous, but that's also what makes these books so great. As for hookups, we've got one added on to Ned's tally, which brings the total to four for Ned, Nancy, and Bess, and George is still sitting on a total of two. As for near-death experiences, we had the parachuting incident, and that's all. I think that's the lowest amount of near-death experiences we've had in any book, bringing the total to 59. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you very much for listening. I will see you next time, detective. Bye.